So again, this morning we continue in this letter to Galatians. And as we do so, once again, the Apostle Paul in our passage here is going to talk about the importance of the one true gospel message about Jesus. And he'll do so this week, as he did last week, by telling a story, as you just heard, about something that happened early on with this gospel message. And on this, it's interesting because thus far in Galatians, if you think about it, we have multiple different examples that the inspired Apostle Paul has put forward to show us the importance of this one true gospel. Because if you remember to begin this letter in Galatians 1, 6-9, Paul used the, examples of the example of the false teachers in Galatia to show how important it is to stick to the one true message of Jesus. And then last week in Galatians 2, 1-10, Paul gave that example about those false brothers who, who were slipping in and trying to add to the gospel. Which then brings us to this third example that we're going to look at this week. And this example, in some ways, is the most shocking of them all. And that's because, as you heard in the scripture reading, this example happened with the Apostle Peter. <laughs> Meaning something happened where Peter wasn't upholding the truth of the gospel. And so what we're going to see this morning is Paul now giving us another example. Not, not to build himself up or anything, but once again to show us all, to illustrate the importance of the one true message of Jesus. But important on that, even before we start, I do want to be clear that although this is another example which shows the importance of the gospel, what does make this example about Peter quite different from the others is that Peter in this story, as you're going to see, is never said to teach or believe a false gospel, like the false teachers and false brothers in Galatians 1 and 2 so far. Instead, as we're going to see this morning, Peter is simply going to act in a way that isn't consistent with the gospel. But all that said, still, the overall point of Paul telling this story, for the Galatians and for us, is the same as it's been throughout Galatians over and over. It really is to emphasize that there is one true message about Jesus Christ. And the gospel message of Jesus Christ is that our God, Jesus Christ, he came to this earth, right? He lived that perfect life. He died for sinners. He rose from the grave, defeating get death. He is going to come back one day and make everything right again. And all we do to receive all of that, to receive him, is we trust him. That's the one true gospel message. And living in light of that, is what Paul is now going to emphasize with this story about Peter. Which leads us then to an outline of when we're going to go through this story together this morning. So for our time together, we're just going to have two sections. Two sections. And concerning these sections, as we're going to see in our passage, and you can see it already if you just skim your eyes there to verse 13, we're going to see that the main idea here that Paul points out about how Peter acted concerning the gospel is that Peter acted hypocritically. Right? Hypocritically. And so that's the main topic of our passage this morning. Acting hypocritically, hypocrisy, in regard to the gospel. And so that being said, concerning our two sections then, we're just going to have two sections on this topic with Peter as our example. First, we'll ask, how could we act hypocritically about the gospel? And that will be verses 11 through 13. And then second, we'll ask, and, and why is it such a big deal when we act hypocritically about the gospel? 
And for that will be in verses 14 through 16. So in brief, two questions with Peter as our example. First, how could we act hypocritically like this? And second, why would that be such a big deal? But with that said, we'll then begin our first section this morning. Again, we're asking, how did Peter and and how could we act hypocritically about the gospel? And we'll be in verses 11 through 13, but we'll start with just verse 11. And as we read this, remember, Peter knows the gospel. And he was even just part of all the apostles in the previous paragraph, right before this, who all agreed on the gospel. And yet, Paul says this in Galatians 2.11, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. (laughs) So as to what's going on here, Peter, which remember Cephas is just Peter's Aramaic name that Jesus gave him. Peter came to Antioch. And we don't know how long or why Peter was there, but we do know that while he was there, something happened that made Paul, quote, oppose him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, what this means, it is an intense sentence. But it's interesting because for us, to our ears, the to his face phrase sounds like the intense part. Because we often say things intensely like, I'm going to say it to his face. But in the reality, back then, the to his, phrase, to his face phrase was just a way of saying personally or face to face. Instead, what is intense in this verse is actually that word opposed. Because that's a really strong word. And in fact, for example, it's used elsewhere in the New Testament by the apostles James and Peter to talk about opposing the devil. And as for Paul, he uses the same verb elsewhere like in his Ephesians 6 about the armor of God to talk about opposing evil. And so this means Paul's looking at the situation with Peter and he sees that it's something that he needs to strongly oppose. And why? Well, because as the end of this verse says, because in what happened, Peter stood condemned. In other words, in this metaphorical courtroom, if you will, Peter was in the wrong. And notice, this is really important, the Bible doesn't say here that Paul himself condemned Peter. That's not the point. Instead, Paul's point is that Peter stood condemned. He already was actually in the wrong. So that's a setup to the story. But now let's read what's ha- what actually happened, starting in verse 12, or just verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he, Peter, was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So as to what happened, Peter was already at Antioch for some time. And importantly, while he was there... Paul says he, quote, was eating with the Gentiles. And that verb there, was eating, shows that this wasn't a one-time thing. Right? Because if that was the case, it might have just said he ate with the Gentiles. Instead, that verb form, was eating, shows that Peter was continually and habitually eating with the Gentiles. And in terms of what this eating was, it could have just been communal meals, it could have been a reference to the Lord's Supper, or to both. But the point is, Peter saw the Gentiles as equals. Right? And he was having regular meals and Christian fellowship with them, which is a good and right thing. But then, certain men came from James. And importantly here, Paul doesn't say that they were conveying what James himself would convey. They just came from James. But when these men came, what did Peter do? 
he, quote, drew back and separated himself from those Gentiles. And with those two verbs, we see the stress on what Peter did. First, he drew back from that equal Christian fellowship that he was living in with them. And then he separated himself from them and created division. And why did he do that? Because he was, quote, fearing the circumcision party. And most accurately, I'm not sure if circumcision party is actually the best translation because Paul just actually writes fearing those out of the circumcision. Just most likely meaning Jewish people, Jewish men. But either way, this is what happened. Peter feared these Jewish men because he was eating with the Gentiles. And as we know, there was this deep-rooted and long-held distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so, while Peter knew that the gospel broke down those Jew and Gentile divisions, still, due to fear, when these men came, he drew back and separated himself from fellowship with them. Which finally leads to what Paul says about all this in verse 13. Look down at your Bibles, verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So what's Paul's verdict on what Peter did? Well, he says that Peter and the rest of the Jews, and perhaps saddest of all for Paul, even his companion Barnabas, they all acted hypocritically. And again, that then is the main issue here, hypocrisy. And you can see that as that word shows up twice in this verse here. And concerning hypocrisy, this is actually a word that Paul rarely uses in his letters. It's a a word we know that shows up a lot in Jesus' teaching. But it's one that Paul doesn't use a lot. And in terms of what it actually means, I don't know if you knew this, but the English word hypocrite is actually just the Greek word itself. Because the Greek word here for hypocrite is hypocrisis. That's where we get our word hypocrite. And back then, it was just a word that over time for them started to be their word for actor. Meaning somebody in a play. Because the idea was it was someone who concealed who they really were in order to act a different way. Like an actor in a theater. And so that being said, in verse 13, the idea here is that Peter and these Jewish Christians and even Barnabas started playing the actor not being true to who they really were or what they actually believed. And specifically, they acted hypocritically regarding the gospel message about Jesus that they knew and believed. And so that's what happened. Which finally then now brings us back to the question on this section we're asking. A question we'll ask about Peter and then we'll ask about ourselves. And it's simply, so that happened. But the real question we want to know is, how did that come about? I mean, why is Peter acting so hypocritically like this? And for us, and how could we perhaps act hypocritically about the gospel like this? And to break that down, think with me for a few minutes about why Peter acted this way. Because it will help us as well. So as to why Peter acted this way, people kind of speculate what exactly is going on in his heart. But without much speculation, I think we get the gist of it. So Peter's enjoying, right, this full Christian fellowship with the Gentiles. And rightly so, because he knows the gospel. But then what happens? Well, our text says that because these Jews came, he started to fear. Right, so that's the surface level answer to why Peter did this. Fear. But now let's, let's take that a step deeper. Because even deeper, we need to ask, 
But why did Peter fear these Jewish men? I mean, think about it. He's an apostle. <laughs> and so he shouldn't fear these, these just Jewish men coming. And so why does he? And I think it's in asking that deeper question that we see more of what's going on here. Because to begin, Peter's fear is not a fear where all of a sudden he thinks he's wrong about the gospel. Because remember, Paul intentionally puts this story right after what we just looked at last week. And there, remember, Peter is one of all the other apostles who agree on the one true message of Jesus. And so fear of being wrong isn't what's going on here with Peter. Nor does it seem here that Peter's fear is mainly practical. Meaning he's thinking that if he doesn't draw back from the Gentiles, then it might hinder the gospel reaching the Jews. And I say that because, again, right before this, in our paragraph from last week, it, one of the big things that all the apostles agreed on was that God himself was working to reach the Gentiles and the Jews. And so I don't think that, if, that Peter thought that if he didn't do this, then God might not reach the Gentiles. Right? He had a bigger theology, a bigger God than that. And so those aren't the reasons why Peter feared these men. Instead, why did Peter fear? Well, I think all of us, when we hear this story, we know kind of instinctively what this was. It was clearly this self-focused fear. Meaning it was a fear that for the moment forgot the implications of the gospel and instead focused on himself and how he was looking as he ate with those Gentiles. Or most simply, we could call this an outburst of pride. Or, perhaps most faithful to this letter, so far, if you remember in Galatians, or earlier in chapter 110, we, we saw there that Paul was clear that he wasn't trying to please man or get man's approval. And we can say that's kind of what's going on with Peter here. And so that's the root of Peter's fear here. To sum it all up, it was this flaring up of the self which led to fearing and trying to please man, which led to him acting hypocritically regarding the gospel he knew and loved. And as a side note, this story does then show us also that the apostles, although they were Jesus' sent ones who spoke for Jesus and told us the gospel, they still were men of like nature like us who did sometimes sin and act in ways they shouldn't have acted. But that's the root here. But all that said then, now when it comes to us, and to our question, well, how could we act hypocritically about the gospel we believe? I think the root cause here is our answer as well. Because this shows us, the story, that even from an apostle, what acting hypocritically, hypocritically can look like. And that's how it can be us knowing the one true gospel and genuinely loving and believing the one gospel. But then... Because of our self-focus and perhaps because of our fear of man, we can start acting very differently than we know we should act. And on this, importantly, what is such a beautiful and semi-hidden truth with this whole issue of Peter and concerning us when we act hypocritically is that the Bible says that this is hypocrisy for him. Meaning, this isn't who Peter really is. And this is what actually sets Peter apart from the false brothers, for example, earlier in chapter 2. Because while they didn't really believe the gospel, Peter does. And Lord willing, so do we. And that's what makes this 
playing the actor, being a hypocrite, because this, was, this wasn't really who Peter was. And so in a sense, we can praise God for that. But again, this is sometimes how our hypocrisy looks too. We believe the gospel, and yet we act in a way that doesn't give credence to the gospel. And so now the question for all of our application is, but how specifically might this happen? Because for Peter, in his setting, it was this Jew and Gentile long-held division that made him act hypocritically. But what about for us? And of course, for each one of us, this will look different as we all have different temperaments and temptations. But overall, I think the best way to see how this applies to us is to see that just as for Peter, this happened in a social relational situation. So I think that's often where it happens for us in social, relational situations, and even in relationships with other Christians. And here's what I mean. So for Peter, this is him knowing the gospel and what the gospel meant for his relationships. And yet, in his hypocrisy, he then acted contrary to the gospel. And so for us, that paradigm still happens. And how? Well, for example... Think about how we can know that in the gospel that we're all equal sinners in need of grace and that no one is better on their own. We know that. And yet socially, in our relationships, even with other Christians, we can subtly start to think in our minds and hearts that we're actually better than that other Christian because of some sin they have in their past. Or, to use another example, think about how we can know that in Christ everything in our lives is grace. Right? And that worldly achievements don't make us better or closer to God or anything like that. We can know that, but then, socially, in our relationships, we can really start to subtly think that because we have certain accomplishments or money or achievements, that we're kind of better than that other Christian who doesn't. Or to use a third example, and perhaps closest to Peter's example here, think about how that we can know in the gospel that Jesus Christ died for all nations and all peoples, and yet socially in relationships we can subtly start to think that our nationality is a lot more significant than the other nationalities, and especially downplay the nationality of another Christian. And the list, right, could go on. Like knowing in the gospel that how long you've been a Christian doesn't make you better than God's eyes, but then socially in relationships, thinking that you're better than that other Christian who's new to the faith. Or as a final example, it could be knowing that in the gospel we're all different but equal in Christ's eyes, but then socially treating someone as inferior because they have a different personality than yours. And more could be said, but the point is, in all of those cases, what makes all of those similar to what's going on here with Peter is that in each of those situations, we know the gospel and we know the right relational implications of the gospel and yet in practice, and let's be honest, in certain relationships and often in Christian relationships, even in church, we can act hypocritically regarding the gospel that we believe. And so for all of us, this is something really to take to, to heart. Asking where and how this happens or may happen and then trying by the grace of God to act more consistently regarding the gospel. 
But that then is the answer to our first question. How could we perhaps act hypocritically regarding the gospel? The, the answer is that we need to be careful not just to believe the gospel, although praise God we do believe it, but then also to watch out for our selfish flare-ups that sometimes lead us to act hypocritically regarding what we really believe. And specifically, again, like Peter, this often happens in relational settings. But when that happens, as Paul says here in verse 11, for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of others and for ourselves, we need to realize that acting like that needs to be strongly opposed. That then leads to our second section this morning. And now here we'll simply ask, and, and why is acting hypocritically like this such a big deal? And of course, in our first section, we started to answer that a bit. But we'll ask this question specifically here because in these next few verses, Paul gets a little deeper. And for this, we're going to be in verses 14 through 16, but mainly just in verse 14. We'll look at verses 15 and 16 to close because they do connect. But we're actually going to cover just verses 15 and 16 next week. So we're only going to dip into them this morning. But that said, look down your Bibles. Now we'll just read verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So right away, notice that first word of verse 14, but... And I point this out because actually in the, the original language here, there's two different words that can be translated as but, and one is more common while the other is very emphatic, and this is the emphatic one here, a strong contrast. And so what's the contrast? Well, you can see in the rest of the verse, Paul says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Their conduct wasn't in step with the truth of the gospel. And it's in that sentence that we really see Paul give two parts to the answer of why acting hypocritically is such a big deal. Two parts. And one part is of the answer concerns us, and the other part of the answer concerns something honestly much bigger than us. So I'll take those one at a time. So first, you can see part of the answer as to why this is a big deal concerning us by focusing on how Paul says that Peter's conduct was not in step with the gospel. Meaning he wasn't conducting himself in a way that suited what he believes. Right? And this shows us, obviously but importantly, that the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't just something we're supposed to believe. <laughs> but because we do believe it, it's supposed to lead to gospel-fitting conduct to actions, and in step with the gospel relational lifestyle. And of course we know this, but let's be honest, it's so easy to focus on just what we know and what we believe, but then think a lot less about the ways where our lives should be more aligned with the gospel. And, and this is basically what we did talk about in our last section. But again, concerning us then, a question we should all be asking ourselves this morning is, how does my conduct in life sometimes not reflect the gospel that I believe? How do I sometimes not walk in step with the gospel? And as for Peter on this, concerning his conduct, that's where that last confusing question from Paul in verse, 13, verse 14 comes in. 
Because there, Paul is basically saying to Peter, look Peter, you were rightly living and eating with the Gentiles because of the gospel. But then, because you feared people's opinions, you started to back away. And, and by doing that, you essentially were acting like if you were to have fellowship with the Gentiles, they had to become Jews like you. Or, or really briefly, Peter, you know the gospel. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, due to fear, you started living inconsistently. And that's a big problem. And so for us, as to the first part of why this is a big deal, it's similar to Peter's here. It's because, again, our conduct really does matter. Because believing the gospel isn't just about believing something. It's about then also living in light of that belief. For our sakes, for the good of others, and especially for the glory of Christ. But that then leads to the bigger thing that I actually going, think is going on with our passage. So remember, we said that there's essentially two parts to why this is a big deal, acting hypocritically. First is because of something concerning us, and that's our conduct. But then second, it's about something honestly much bigger than us. And as for this, what this means, there's a few things in our passage that hint at this idea of what we're calling something bigger than us. And so stick with me on this for a moment, because I think you'll see what I mean. So first, remember verse 11. And how there, Paul said that he didn't, he didn't say that he condemned Peter. Instead, he intentionally wrote that Peter stood condemned. Meaning, in this metaphorical courtroom on this issue, Peter was objectively wrong. Then as for the second hint, now notice that in verse 14 here, Paul doesn't just say that Peter's conduct wasn't in step with the gospel. But specifically, as you can see in your Bibles, he says that it wasn't in step with, quote, the truth of the gospel. And that's significant because that phrase, the truth of the gospel, Paul doesn't use a lot in his letters. He often talks about the gospel, and he could have just said the gospel here, but instead he writes the truth of the gospel. Which shows us that Paul wants it to be clear that this gospel is truth. And this means for Peter and his conduct, Paul's point is that there's truth, the true gospel, and Peter isn't acting in line with that truth. Which then leads to the last hint that shows us that something bigger than us is at work in our passage. And at first, it seems small, but I think it's significant. But to set this last hint up, look, at, look with me quickly again at verse 7 from last week. Because there, if you remember, Paul's talking about how Peter was to preach to the Jews and Paul to the Gentiles. And yet, on that, he specifically wrote how the apostles saw that Peter and Paul had been entrusted with their different ministries. Meaning, we talked about this last week, meaning the apostles didn't do the entrusting. They simply saw that something was true. They saw a truth that was already the case. And so that said, now for our final hint as to something bigger going on in our passage, look at verse 14 again. Because what specifically does Paul say? Quote, When I saw, same word, that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. He didn't say, I decided it wasn't in step. Instead, he simply saw he recognized that this was the case. 
And so once again, if you think about it, this means that there is this gospel truth out there. The real good news about Jesus, which is for the world. And it wasn't that Paul had to judge Peter's actions as being wrong. Instead, the gospel is real. It's already true. And Paul simply saw that Peter's conduct was out of line with the real and true gospel. And so, and so I know that's a lot. But I think it's fascinating because taking all that together, it shows us that the reason why acting hypocritically concerning the gospel is a big deal isn't just because of our conduct, how we're acting. That, that's true. But also, there's actually something much bigger going on here. And that is the objective reality of the gospel message. And here's what this means. It means... That bigger than any of us, right, outside of us, there is this one gospel message of Jesus Christ. It is God's message. It is about Jesus and what he did. And it is for the world. And the idea that it's much bigger than us simply means that in essence, it doesn't really depend on us to be true at all. <laughs> Rather, it is true. The truth of the gospel is the good news for the world. And even if you or I never existed, and even if Paul or Peter never existed, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the banner, the good news for the whole entire world. And concerning then why this makes living hypocritically a big deal, it's because when we act hypocritically like Peter was doing here, it's not just that we're personally conducting ourselves in a negative way. That's true. But bigger than that, we're out of step with reality. We're off. We're not living according to the truth of the gospel. And I know perhaps this is still a little confusing. So, so to really bring this home, Here's an analogy that might help. It's an analogy that doesn't exactly work with everything in our text, but I think it will help prove why living out of step with the truth of the gospel is a big deal. So it's a quick analogy. So imagine that there was someone who somehow became totally convinced that the visible world wasn't real at all. At all. And as a result of that, they lived their whole lives and they intentionally shut their eyes and made sure that they walked around and lived with their eyelids firmly shut. Now, ask yourself, why would living like that be a big deal? Well, as we, know, as we all know, there's essentially two reasons, right? Two reasons. First, it'd be a big deal concerning that individual person because their conduct would be affected by that belief. Right? They'd have to make sure all the time that their eyes were intentionally closed. Right? They wouldn't be able to do a lot of things. They'd walk into a lot of things and more. Right? So that's the first reason why that would be a big deal and it concerns them and their conduct. But that being true, I think we all know that perhaps even bigger than just their conduct is the fact that we'd look at that person and we'd say, Man, you're missing it. <laughs> How you're living isn't true. It isn't according to reality. Meaning there is something bigger than you. The real, visible world, people, nature, right? The sun, trees, food, faces, the galaxies that you can all relate to with your eyes. And so we'd all agree that the reason why this person denying all that and living with their eyes intentionally closed shut is a big deal is not just because their conduct is affected. 
But mainly it's because they're missing it. They're out of line with reality. And so it is for us in the gospel when we act hypocritically. It isn't just that our conduct should be different. That's true. But more so, and I hope you're tracking now, there is this massive reality of the universe which we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the ultimate storyline of history. It is what every single person on this planet is longing for. Or think of it this way. It is what two million years from now we'll all look back on. Right? When, when all the dust of this world has settled and the fog of our culture is gone, it's what we'll all look back on as by far, by far the most important message that the world has ever needed. And so the point is when, when we, we who know this gospel, act in a way that's contrary to that message, it's a big deal. All because to use our analogy, we're those who see <laughs> We're those who see what's true. We see the gospel. We see what the world needs. And therefore, our goal, our privilege, is to live in light of that and to help other people see it as well. And again, we do this not primarily because of us. Because honestly, we're not that important. And that's why Paul can talk to Peter like this. Because Peter here in himself wasn't that important. Nor was Paul, nor are you and I. Instead, we do this because we're just mere participants in this bigger-than-us gospel message of Jesus Christ. For that then is most of our text here in Galatians 2 this morning and our two questions. First, we saw how we, like Peter, could sometimes act hypocritically about the gospel. And then second, we saw why whenever that happens, it's a big deal. Which now leads us to close of verses 15 and 16. And again, next week, we will cover just these two verses because they're so important. But I think closing with them this week is fitting because in some ways, these are a summary of what this bigger-than-us gospel is. So look down at your Bibles and see the gospel of Jesus Christ in Galatians 2, 15 through 16. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know... That a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So if something that is confusing, that's okay. Come back next week and we'll break it all down. But for this week, notice, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Because the good news, the gospel, is that we are justified, meaning right with the living God, put in a right relationship with the one who created us and loves us. We're justified not by works we do, but instead simply by faith in Jesus Christ and what's he's, what he has done for us. And this means that the good news really, meaning in reality, not someone's mere opinion, but the truth of the gospel is that there is a way for broken, confused sinners like us to be restored to our God, to be made new, to eventually be made whole, starting now and especially forever when everything's made right and beautiful again. And how? How do we access that? Well, the good news isn't that we do that by, earning our, by doing our best. It isn't by sinning less and making up for our wrongs. It isn't by being a good person. It isn't by being more moral than someone else. 
It isn't any of that at all. And we all need to hear that over and over and over because we are so prone to think that it's about us and that we need to do certain things to get back on God's side. But that's not the gospel. Instead, we get this salvation, this future, this hope, this peace simply by and only by trusting in Jesus Christ and what he did. His death for sinners, his resurrection, and the fact that he's coming back again. That's it. That is the bigger than us gospel message. And so, brothers and sisters, let's keep believing that message. And then as we saw from Peter's example here, let's, of course, think about how we sometimes, even as Christ's people, can act inconsistently against that gospel, especially in social relationships due to our pride. But above all, as we keep saying this morning, in everything, let's realize the truth of the gospel. It's outside of us. It's much bigger than us. It's God's news for the whole world. And what a privilege then that we know it, that we're saved by Jesus in it, and that we get to spread it and live in light of it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.